Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. Today, we are extremely pleased to have with us Pulitzer Prize winner, Professor David Kurtzer. Professor Kurtzer is the Paul Dupay Jr. University Professor of Social Sciences, Professor of Anthropology, and Professor of Italian Studies at Brown University. He has authored numerous books, including Family Life in Central Italy, Politics and Symbols, the Italian Communist Party, and the Fall of Communism, the Popes Against the Jews, the Vatican's Role in the Rise of Modern Anti-Semitism, Pope Who Would Be King, the Exile of Pius IX, and the Emergence of Modern Europe. And today we will be discussing the kidnapping of Gardo Mortaro in a fascinating account that reads um, like a fictional thriller, but is uh, historically deeply researched. Um, and no wonder that um, it has become so popular and hopefully we'll be seeing a Steven Spielberg movie um, as soon as possible and, and really tells us um, the, the popularity and, and the importance and significance of, of this wonderful book. And I urge all our readers and listeners to go on to Amazon like I did and click a button and deliver straight to your home. Um, Professor Kurtzer, again, thank you very much for being with us. A little bit about your background and how you became interested in the kidnapping of Edgardo Mortara. Well, it was kind of fortuitous. I, uh, I'm an anthropologist and social historian by background, and I had been doing uh, various research projects in Bologna, basically on 19th century uh, social history, the transition of peasant to urban society. And a friend of mine, an Italian historian who's actually an American, asked me whether I knew about the Mortara case from Bologna. And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, I should look into it. And I began as a kind of side project as I learned about it, uh, spending more and more kind of weekend time and evening time, because initially I thought this was not really my, my field, um, kind of 19th century Jewish history, one could call it. And uh, I was amazed at both how important the case was historically and how the extent to which it had been forgotten. I talked with historians at University of Bologna who knew nothing about it. And uh, at the time, as we'll talk about, it actually was had a major impact on Italian history and not to mention Jewish history. So I, uh, and at the same time, I had another kind of career aspiration, which is to write for a broader audience. And I had written a number of books, uh, mainly for fellow scholars. And I had reached a point in my career where I wanted to try to interest a larger audience worldwide in, in Italian history, which I find fascinating. And so uh, those kind of two forces came together and resulted in this book. Okay. Very briefly, what was the political situation in Italy at that time? It was a very tense political situation in Italy. We're talking about the time of the Risorgimento, the movement to unify Italy. Italy at the time was a patchwork of different duchies and kingdoms. And in the middle uh, was a swath of territory that ran from Rome up through Bologna under the control of the Pope, as it had been more or less for a thousand years, as the Papal States. And uh, the Pope ruled as the so-called Pope King. 
but there was, had been attempts to unify all of Italy in 1848. There were revolutions, which, among other things, drove the Pope out of Rome uh, for over a year as uh, briefly the Papal States fell. But then he, the French troops brought him back to power. Uh, so it was a, a kind of a tense situation. At the same time, uh, Jews had been um, confined in the Papal States, had been confined to ghettos. Uh, back from the 16th century, they had briefly been liberated under Napoleon when Napoleon took over Italy in the uh, late 18th century and early 19th century. Uh, and so uh, the Jewish community in the Papal States was uh, under the, the Pope's thumb. On the other hand, you had, after the revolutions of 1848, the first kind of liberated Jewish community, which was in the northwest of Italy in the Savoyard Kingdom, uh, and that would also prove important to, to this case, as we'll talk about. The story behind the abduction of six-year-old Edgardo, without giving away all of the thrilling parts that you write about, but just a little bit about what happened. Well, there was, we're talking about 1858. 1858, still the Papal States, there was still an Inquisition, which we can talk about. Uh, and the, there was a small Jewish community in Bologna. Jews had been kicked out of Bologna by the popes in the uh, late uh, 16th century. Uh, they had, there had been a flourishing community there, but uh, the Jews were confined to a limited number of ghettos, uh, the most important of which was, of course, Rome in the Papal States. Uh, but with uh, Napoleon, a small number of Jews began to come back. And although theoretically they weren't supposed to be living there, uh, they were kind of tolerated as long as they didn't start a synagogue or call too much attention to themselves. Um, but the Jews throughout the Papal States always lived in fear of a knock on the door that would come and they would find one of their children taken away from them. This has been true for hundreds of years because if a Jewish child uh, was baptized, even against the parents' uh, will and without their knowledge, by uh, anyone, the uh, position of the church was they could not be raised in a Jewish family because they were now Catholic. Um, and so this is exactly what happened on a night in June 1858. There was a knock on the door of the Jewish family of Momolo Amortara and his wife Mariana. And it was the police, the Carabinieri, who had come. And they said, we're sorry to tell you this, uh, but your uh, six-year-old son, Edgardo, must come with us. He's been uh, secretly baptized, and this has been ordered. We've been ordered to come by the Inquisitor of Bologna, who was a Dominican uh, priest. Uh, so the parents, of course, nothing about this baptism, uh, supposed baptism, because that's part of the mysteries. Was there any kind of baptism? Uh, and the police said he knew no more. Uh, so there was a very dramatic scene, which actually lasted 24 hours. Uh, eventually, uh, the uh, police made off with the child. The parents initially didn't know where the child had gone, but uh, the child is taken directly to what's called the House of the Catacombs in Rome. House of the Catacombs had been set up back in the 16th century for the conversion of Jews and Muslims, but primarily Jews. And uh, what would follow would be the drama of the family desperately trying to get their six-year-old child back and this becoming an international cause célèbre for various reasons, not least because we are in this uh, tense period of Italian unification attempts. And this case was uh, used by Cavour and other major architects of Italian unification to 
argue why the Pope should not have uh, secular power, should not have police power. Many people often associate Inquisition with Spain, 1400s, 1492. What was the Inquisition like in Italy at that time and previously? Yes, there actually were different inquisitions. And uh, you know, one of the first things people tend to react to when I talk about this case is to say, uh, there really was an inquisition in the 19th century. We thought of this as kind of medieval or, uh, centuries earlier. Uh, but there was still an inquisition. There would be actually into the, into the 20th century. Uh, but the, uh, the Roman inquisition was different. The, when we talk about 1492, we're talking about the Spanish inquisition. The Roman inquisition was introduced by the popes in the 16th century. And uh, the Inquisition was largely run by uh, Dominicans, but it was all under the charge of the Pope uh, who presided over the Holy Office of the Inquisition uh, in in Rome. So this, uh, what you had was a network of inquisitors, largely Dominican, largely Dominican monks as there was in, in Bologna. Why did uh, Pope Pius IX get involved in this specific kidnapping case? Yes, so uh, although the Mortara case has gotten a huge amount of publicity, the fact is, as I had mentioned before, that these kinds of cases have been going on for a long time. What was different was the political moment and the fact that Jews not only were uh, liberated in uh, the northwest of Italy, uh, but also elsewhere in Europe, that over the course of the first half of the 19th century, Jews in other parts of Europe were increasingly gaining more or less equal rights. And so uh, in the past, when Jewish children have been taken, the Jewish parents and the local Jewish community might um, complain about it or largely um, uh, try to appeal to the Pope and the Pope's good nature to get the child back, which rarely happened. Uh, but now this was being written up in the newspapers throughout Europe and, in fact, through uh, the United States as well. And so uh, there is political pressure being play- placed on the Pope. Uh, not least by the French, because the Pope, as I mentioned before, had been kicked out of Rome by the Roman Revolution in 1848. He had been reinstalled uh, by French troops, and it was French troops who were still guarding Rome and preventing it, uh, Italian unification. Uh, so the French emperor, uh, the uh, Napoleon III, sent his ambassador to the Pope and said, you've got to return this child. This is an outrage. Uh, it's embarrassing for us since we're defending the uh, papal states. And, uh, so the Pope was under great international, both media pressure, but also political pressure to return the child. And, uh, so he got involved directly. And in fact, he would come to regard himself as the new father of Edgardo. What was the response to the kidnapping by the international Jewish community? I know that there's a chapter in the book, um, that Sir Moses Montefiore to visit and try to take some of the success that he might have had in the Damascus affair. Yes, this had a big impact on the Jewish community worldwide. Uh, for one thing, the, uh, the main Jewish organization for uh, protecting Jewish rights in France, the Alliance Universelle Israelite, was formed as a result of the Mortar case. There were a Jewish uh, international uh, kind of self-help organizations also in the U.S. established um, so this would, uh, after the Damascus case, which was a couple uh, decades earlier of the uh, the ritual murder accusations, 
uh, which which was we generally would date to the first evidence of international jewelry being able to politically organize uh, for kind of self defense purposes. This was the next major case along those lines, and it would, among other things, uh, lead to um, Jewish delegations in the United States going to try to visit the president. Uh, you had um, in, in major political pressure by the Jewish community in France and in Britain. Uh, and, and elsewhere. So this was a big step forward, really, in international Jewish organization. Aside from the French, um, what was the response of the non-Jewish world, political or organizational world, to the kidnapping? Well, the, in the United States, so if we can focus on the U.S. example, uh, there was actually quite a lot of interest. There was... There were a series of uh, protest meetings in the United States following the, the kidnapping of Edgardo. So now we're talking about the second half of 1858 um, to call for the Pope to return him to his Jewish family. Uh, so, for example, in San Francisco, about 3,000 people had a protest meeting, 2,000 in New York. And these and, and some of the speakers would be Protestant ministers and, and leaders. Um, you know, this gets a little bit complicated because at the time, if you think of the date, there's also a certain amount of anti-papist or, you know, anti-Catholic sentiment in the United States. Um, and so the uh, charge of the kind of medieval nature of the papal power and uh, the Catholic Church is acting against uh, non-Catholics. This all played into a certain kind of anti-Catholic uh, theme that some politicians uh, took advantage of. Now we're talking about non-Jewish politicians. So it was a kind of combination of forces that meant that this got a lot of publicity. There were dozens of articles, for example, the New York Times in 1858 about this case and the other newspapers, French newspapers, others were filled with stories as well. And these involved the interest of non-Jews as well. It's fascinating that there was this reaction we're talking about right before the Civil War, where the country was involved in in that whole issue and, and organization. And, and I understand uh, we had interviewed uh, Dr. Jonathan Sarna on Lincoln and the Jews. And he uh, said that the population of American Jewry was, was such a dramatic rise from 5,000 to over 100, 150,000 by the time we got to the 1860s. So you, you, you saw pressure by the Jewish community in America on non-Jewish politicians. Yes, you know, it's interesting that um, when I became interested in, in the Mortara case and I discovered how little had been written about it and there was no book about it um, and not that many articles, I discovered there was one book written about the Mortara case at the time and the book was called The American Reaction to the Mortara Case uh, by Bertrand Korn. And um, it, he, was, he was a neighbor of ours. Uh, he was the, the representative of... of uh, the temple, the synagogue, up the block where we lived. And yeah, we knew the family. Did you? Yes. So he was what, from the Midwest somewhere, wasn't he? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it, it's an interesting book, uh, largely uh, in terms of documenting what the Jewish community was doing, the Jewish protests and so on about the Mortar case. Uh, less so about the actual case itself, since he, he didn't have access to those records, nor for that matter, I think, did he know Italian. So he didn't get uh, access. But um, it suggests it, it's a good documentation of the huge interest uh, that the Mortar case had in the, in the United States. 
And uh, so, yes, the Jews were trying to uh, organize how would they successfully put pressure on the Pope, uh, you know, directly a letter from, you know, some New York rabbi, the Pope wasn't likely to do too much good. Uh, so the idea was to try to get the U.S. president to intervene on behalf of the Jews in the United States with the Pope. Uh, the problem, though, uh, in part was what you uh, just kind of alluded to, namely, we're right before the Civil War. And so, you know, the kind of moral status that the president had in a slavery <laughs> country to uh, talk about the, uh, you know, the rights of individuals um, from state power was kind of limited. And the, and the U.S. president never did, uh, unlike the emperor in, in France, the U.S. president never did protest.